He's Christian. He's Jimmer. And we're back for another episode of Two Physical Therapists and a Bag of Chips. Not really a bag. It's like a little baggie. It's a bag. It's a bag. It's a little pouch. It's a pouch of chips. Ooh, that's a good way of saying it. Chips may be a generous term. <laughs> I'm looking forward to these. These are Gertie uh, Cam, the Uba Foods Kulhai Kaja. These are the They're uh, from the Republic of the Maldives or Maldives. Anybody know how to pronounce that? Let us know. Please do. These are uh, tuna chips. And let me tell you, when you open the bag or pouch, it smells like a combination of cat food and dog treats. It's a little fishy. That's for sure. We'll see, we'll see what this ends up tasting. Christian like. thought they looked like pig ears, but maybe like guinea pig ears. They're a little. I mean, they've got the same color. They're tiny. Yeah. I'm really excited about it, though. I'm excited. Anything from the Maldives has to right? be quite delightful, right? Maldives, Maldives. Mal- I don't know. Maldive, if it's French. Ooh, that's a pretty good point. Should we, like, just go straight to the chips and forget the whole failed surgical procedure thing, or should we talk about it? I mean, we should probably talk about Let's it. Let's talk about it. But, but we, we can failed go quick. Failed surgical procedures. So the biggest cause of failed surgery is infection. Reason number one. Ooh, I would have thought it was um, misdiagnosis. Well, that's a pretty good one, too. Yeah. I think that takes into a, account a certain other alternative. Somebody's a little giddy to, to get in there. <laughs> and I don't know how you quantify that, necessarily. Um, you consider that a failed procedure. Well, if the outcome is not what what uh, the indication was, right? So yeah. if... if uh, Oh, are we just gonna like do a little? Yeah, we're doing okay. Right. Yeah, we're, so we can riff. So you know, a lot, a lot of this is what we see. I would think you and I are, are failed lower back surgeries. Very, very common. And, and I think a failed lower back surgery is we, we've discussed this before. But if you get a diagnosis of a bulging disc at L four, and the MRI shows a bulging disc at L four, and we're gonna go in and we're gonna fix the bulging disc at L four, which we do. Because mm-hmm. the disc is no longer bulging. And lo and behold, the pain is exactly the same as it was prior to surgery. What? You mean nothing has changed? Exactly. So you're telling me that if pain is the indication for surgery, then it's often not the most beneficial. I, I think unless it's properly diagnosed, mm-hmm. that is the majority of the time the case. The surgery does not alleviate the symptom. Now, having said that, the surgery is successful in the sense that it reduces the disc bulge. That's a great question on what is a failed surgery right? procedure. Because so, you never hear a single surgeon walk out and go, well, that was a failure. <laughs> so the surgery was successful in the sense that it, it, it reduced the disc bulge. But uh, I think more importantly, the client's symptoms did not change. And I think that's kind of why the client was inclined to go ahead with the surgery, one would think. There's, there's even a specific word for this or, or phrase it's called failed back surgery syndrome that's right they've given <laughs> a, a syndrome yes so the definition of this is short term or no improvement following spinal surgery yeah so your pain and, le- reduction is short term or doesn't improve or worsens honestly yeah. and, and we can kind of you know we're kind of making light of this which we really should because um as as a um as a healthcare provider, there's nothing harder to diagnose than lower back problems, um, maybe neck problems. 
but I, I think lower back problems are probably worse. And so even with all the injection techniques, uh, trigger point injections, cortisone injections, epidural injections, what have you, it's still really hard to pinpoint the exact diagnosis or location of someone's lower back pain. Having said that, if you're not 100% sure, why would you go ahead and do the surgery? I think the answer to that oftentimes is like emotional fatigue. You're yeah, fatigued people, of your pain. People just people just need an answer and they'll they'll cling to whatever. And somebody tells them they can fix them or improve them or in some way eliminate this this problem by doing something and people jump at that opportunity. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that surgeons are doing this on purpose. You know, surgeons are doing surgery. That's what they do. And if they feel confident that that's where the pain is coming from, they can say with confidence that they will improve um, the situation. Unfortunately, a lot of times that's not the case. And I think lower back, the, the lower back is just one of those really yeah. complex situations, especially when you're dealing with people who've had chronic pain for, for, for years. Um, we, we don't understand pain one bit, I don't think. We have concepts that we apply that, that tackle a good chunk of it at times, but we don't really understand the full process. No, and what works for A doesn't work for B and vice versa. And um, I mean, I think the best example of that is like phantom limb pain. Right. Right. How do you have pain in something that's no longer there? there. Yeah. Right. And it's, and it's full-blown real pain. But, I mean, where is that? Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's not imaginary. Pain is never imaginary, in my opinion. Um, if somebody feels pain, they have pain. Now, we may not be able to explain why they're having pain, but that doesn't change the situation for them. It, they, they experience pain, and I think that is that is super frustrating. Not just for the healthcare provider who's you know grasping at straws trying to figure out what am I going to do to help this person, which is obviously why we see so much pain medication prescription and prescribing mm -hmm. because it's the easiest and quickest way to keep somebody happy and keep them out of your office, so you don't have to worry too much about actually trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, it's a it's a quick way to get someone out the door, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. But we're kind of wandering away from uh, from the topic failed surgery. A little bit. Um, other reasons for this failed back surgery syndrome are associated with malunion. So if you put in say like a fusion and that fusion doesn't take as would be expected, uh, they also have something called pseudoarthritis, which just by the name alone gives you a little bit of a whimsical sensation. <laughs> These things happen, and the surgery is deemed a success, but the result is deemed a failure. And as such, that's very common. I, yeah, I think that would be something that um, that I used to hammer home with my students was you always want to make sure that your goals align with your patient's goals. And so I think you could kind of explain a failed surgery as such. You know, if, if a patient or a client has a particular outcome in mind, and the surgery does not achieve that, is that deemed a failed surgery? Or, or could the surgery be successful, but the client may not have had realistic goals or may have had different expectations? Yep, this is a topic that certainly has a, a spectrum to it. Yes. Right? There's, there are certain things. Um, other interesting areas more recently, like cartilage replacement, also known as osteochondral replacement, particularly in the allograft form, which is where you replace an area of cartilage that's no longer present hasn't been particularly successful, so the surgical procedure can go through and do everything 
that it is anticipated and the body's response to that tissue cannot be successful. So do you consider that a failed surgery? Do you consider this still experimental and as a result they're ironing out some details? Um, hard to say, but that's one that pops up. Yeah, um, that, that, sorry, that, that seems mm -hmm. to be, that, that was a procedure that was pretty common about 10, 15 years ago. I haven't seen a lot of those lately, but is some of that research, is that re more recent or? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly been shown to, to not be as successful as would be desired. Yeah, and as it a result, you know, it's the old, the old Petri dish growing of, of mm -hmm. uh, cartilage cells, re-implanting them in a chondral defect, and lo and behold, it doesn't work. And so a lot of people aren't going to pay out of pocket for a full surgery like that because insurance may not be covering those necessarily yep. much anymore. Ones that we see a little bit more common would be, uh, like, so a, if someone has a fracture and then they get an ORIF, and then that results in necrosis. Um, we've seen this, uh, you know, usually shoulders, uh, hips, those are kind of the biggest areas. Yep. Uh, an older population, 60, 65 plus sort of individuals, uh, and those procedures would then be initially very stable and then over a period of six months or a year begin to become necrotic and then the individual now needs a, a joint replacement. Yeah, so necrotic meaning that the blood supply is no longer functioning properly and the bone dies off. Hence, therefore, if it needs to be replaced. I mean, one of the most famous ones here is, is, is Bo Jackson from, I guess, the mid to late 80s. Whenever yeah, it was way back, yeah. Procedure initially treated successfully, but over a period of time has no longer provided, or the body has responded differently than anticipated, and so now it would be considered a failure. Um, again, another one that falls underneath the failed category, but at the same time was the appropriate decision-making at the time in most cases and resulted in, unfortunately, um, the body's response just was not what was anticipated. Yep. I have an interesting story. Um, yeah. I'll try to keep it short. Uh, as In the category of failed surgeries, um, I saw a patient a long time ago with a hunting injury, and, and um, it destroyed most of his thigh and his knee. And extremely successful trauma surgeon, able to piece his knee back together, used part of his lat muscle to fill up the hole in his thigh so it looked re representable and tons of skin grafting and what have you. So the surgery was deemed a success, but the function of the leg was abysmal. So, you know, is that a failed surgery or a successful surgery? Um, we, we actually discussed, and I treated this gentleman for quite some time, we discussed doing an amputation in order to create better function in the end, he ended up choosing for a joint replacement, which did not have the the outcome that um, that that we were hoping for. But so sometimes surgery surgeons can be so good that in the process of, of putting stuff back together, um, they f they forget function, which, which is uh, and it, that's such a hard thing to do. You know that that's not necessarily a finger pointing or a blaming. It's just uh, you know m medicine can be really good sometimes, sometimes too good. Yeah, we, we talk about that, um, particularly with like big traumatic incidences where 40 years ago these individuals wouldn't, wouldn't survive and now they do. Yep. And so how do we manage that level of trauma uh, functionally? And that's, that's a big question. That's a hard question to answer. Yep. Um, well, and on, on a, from a patient's perspective, how do you decide if somebody gives you an option to keep your leg, how do you decide at that point in time to say, no, I want you to take it off? 
I don't know if you can. Yeah, it's, well, I mean, without having the right no. amount of information and knowing no. how good prosthetics nowadays are. Um, yeah. yeah, that's that's a that's a topic for a different day. But it's, a, um, no, I mean I had a friend growing up. This was twenty five years ago, probably, who was hit by a car. His leg was was broken in countless places. Got him to the hospital quickly. I mean, he was probably eleven or twelve at the time. Oh well. And they were talking that um, you know they didn't think they could save the leg and save him. And so that was quite a position to put the parents into. Yeah, no kidding. And so, um, you know, the parents advocated and advocated, and um, eventually they were able to, to save both. And he went on and, and, functionally speaking, continued to play sports and, and, and everything and really didn't have too many limitations. But a good example of, of a situation that worked out okay. But, I mean, how often is that decision kind of taken out of your hands? Yep. There's, there's a lot to it. So um, other ones that we talk about is... is kind of failing so total joints have a lifespan to them um, that lifespan results in what, what's called a revision surgery when you have a second total knee replacement or shoulder or hip or whatever for most people that's that's going to be about 20 years um, of successful use but if it fails earlier than that is that considered a failure right by by definition if something doesn't live up to the billing it is in some ways a failure but based on uh, a study that I found that, that tracked people from 91 to 2011, so a 20-year uh, follow-up, they did over 60,000 people with hip replacements and over 50,000 people with knee replacements. The 10-year survivability was over 96%, and the 20-year survivability was over 85%. All right. Uh, these numbers actually became... Uh, worse in younger populations than they did in older populations. Which, which would make sense considering activity level or... Yeah, and I also don't know if, if you get one over 70, uh, what's your 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 like personal survivability of 20 years, right? I see, okay. I don't know if the individual expired before the prosthetic did. I wasn't quite able to capture that from the study. Um, yeah, so the survivability part is... is Pointing towards the prosthetic, the prosthetic. device, yeah, yeah, not the not, not the patient. Not the human okay. being. No, no, no. The interesting thing was the median time for revision for people younger than sixty was was four point four years, which is really short. Yeah, I don't know if that was some sort of weird deviation as well, or what exactly happened there. But that that was a weird one. I thought I don't know why that kind of stood out exactly. And obviously, without more more than a hundred thousand cases. Pretty pretty good sample size to look yeah. at. So, yeah, that was strange. Uh, the other one that I that I found that was that was pretty interesting was they looked at ACL rates. They tracked uh, 2,240 cases of ACL reconstruction, and they looked at failure rates based on size of the graft tissue, which was pretty interesting. So their conclusion was an increase in graft diameter between seven and ten millimeters resulted in a 0.86 times lower likelihood of revision surgery with every 0.5 millimeter increase. So the larger the graph, the less likely it was to fail, which was kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, some of it is, uh, you know, if you take a couple planks of wood and you add a couple more planks of wood, it's harder to break that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if, see what, if what that the function works that way. Yeah, but, what the function uh, is of that. Plus, a lot of times, you know, grafting happens with, an older population mm -hmm. who are less likely to engage in the activity, maybe that that resulted in the certainly. So, so but yeah, we, I mean, you That's hear that a lot, right? Someone's 
you know, hamstring tendon isn't quite as beefy as they anticipate, so they add some additional cadaver to it to, to increase the dimension. Yep. Um, or it's skinny but really long, so then they can bundle it an extra time or something, and, and so then you'll get a larger, you know, graft diameter. So that was interesting. And the other one we see that, unfortunately, results in not the best outcomes often is bunions. <laughs> and so bunion surgery yeah. is, is always an interesting one. We, we could spend a whole episode on that. I'm not, I'm not going to uh, do that at some point. Uh, have, we t- have we discussed bunions already? Yeah, we've talked about it okay. in the past. Yeah. Because, and and it's, it's just like with uh, lower back surgery. C- correcting the problem, sorry, correcting the pain, but not correcting the problem, right? Why is that bunion there? A lot of times a bunion is not just a bony growth. A bunion is a, the result of poor stability and excessive forces on the big toe. So if you correct the bunion, I'm making air quotes, but don't correct the foot position, you're going to end up with the same problem. It's going to eventually um, pull itself back over there. Yeah, yeah. And a bunion is literally a partial subluxation or a dislocation of the joint where the joint glides out of its, its socket, and that's what creates that bony protrusion. You can cut the bone off, but you're not improving the mechanics. It's going to happen again. Bone will continue to grow. Bone is amazing. Oh, yeah. So you have to correct the mechanics that lead up to that. And, and yeah, unfortunately, we see that quite a bit. And, and putting a, a pin in there and fusing it is not necessarily the right answer either. It's not super helpful. No. And so, again, bunion surgeries, when done cosmetically, certainly have an increased you know, quote-unquote failure rate, then bunion surgeries done in, in presence of pain or, or as a result of, of more function loss, let's say. Right. And that's, unfortunately, with bunions we see, you know, I wouldn't say regret, but a fair people of, who, who maybe would have done something different before trying that later, potentially. And, and there's this thing, I hope I'm not going to piss off a bunch of podiatrists, but there is this thing, while we're there, why don't we also address the ingrown toenail and the two hammer toes? And so you have a, a, a multitude of surgeries at, at the same time that maybe complicate the healing, the proper Absolutely. healing or some other issues. So For sure. Failed, failed procedure is really a, a definition term and um, function-based analysis is, is kind of more appropriate for, for determining that. Yep. Um, the one thing I would always be careful of is never seen a, a sports figure have an unsuccessful surgery. The surgeon <laughs> always walks out, great success. Five months later, they're back in for something else or, or whatever, right? Something has happened, some problem. So, Yeah, even Alex you know. Smith's first surgery was deemed a success. Right. And then 20, did, sur- 21 did, surgeries later. 19 more, yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, Tiger Woods, right? He's had four or five successful, successful back, back surgeries. <laughs> yeah, um, a good point. Just something to, to, to be careful with. Success has many forms in that regard. Absolutely. Yeah, just make sure, you know, if, if I can give one piece of advice in that, just make sure that you ask the right questions so that you and your surgeon are on the same pace as far as what your functional outlook is going to be after the surgery. You know, make sure that you have a good understanding of maybe there are a lot more limitations than you think there are going to be. And that can make the difference between you feeling that the surgery was successful or unsuccessful. Something to think about. Absolutely.
Trivia time. Time for trivia. What was the first vegetable grown in space? Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. Um, I love the link that you uh, that you made. I don't know if you put that out there between um, the show, the podcast. And oh, the, yeah. And the vegetable. It was pretty good, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was a potato. Potato, potato, potato. chips. So uh, a seed potato was first tested on board the Space Shuttle Columbia in 1995. And then beginning in 2004, they began using a chamber-grown procedure invented by uh, a, a, the Chinese or Chinese method. Okay. But well done, Mr. Grant Schumann. Justice nice potatoes. job, Grant. Based off the Martian, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, we had some other pretty good guesses. Mr. Mike Pasco came at us. Dr. Mike Pasco came at us with Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts. Uh, a gentleman by the name of No Longer That Guy said rocket, but I think he was joking. Oh, okay. Natasha Tony, gave us peanut. Yeah. Tony Korea said, uh, what did he say? He zucchini. Some, zucchini, that's right. Yeah. Just because zucchini grows everywhere yeah. and easy, which is true, but it requires quite a bit of water. Sure. I mean, some potatoes, be, I think. That right? might be tricky. Do they? Don't they? No, I don't think so. Not as much as you think? No. Oh, well, that's good. Yep. And then uh, the Breakaway PT gave us a guess as well. That By the way, a little shout-out to uh, Old Dutch Crunch Old Dutch, yeah. for uh, for following us and and uh, giving us... Uh, Some loving. Yeah. Appreciate it, guys. Three, three smiley faces for the, uh, for the chip review. Thank okay. you, guys. Yeah. This week's trivia question. From what city was the Titanic launched? Yeah. That's a good one. We've got an article. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Did you ever do the, the Titanic um, experience when they came to the Museum of Nature and Science? I don't think I did. It's pretty cool. I don't think I did. You get a ticket, you get to be a person, and you have to follow your person through the exhibit, and you end up figuring out whether or not you survive or you drown. Oh. Yeah. Chip time! Tuna chips! Uber foods! Cool the, high kaja! The original recipe... Compliments of Kim. Thank you so much, Kim. It includes wheat flour, tuna, onion, ginger, garlic, green chili, salt, vegetable oil, lemon, cumin seed, curry leaves, pepper, and rihakuru. I am I'm not familiar with that. That's going to be delicious. Yep. So no potato or corn. It's like a tuna jerky type thing. Yeah. Kind of a deal going on there. So... Uh, chip tear ratio, 80%. We got some foldies in there. I'm going to try it. Ooh, crunchy. Quite crunchy. Very crunchy. Definitely um, get a tuna. Or fishy. Yeah. Um, it's more crackery than I would have anticipated, actually. Yeah. Less jerky, more cracker. Yep. Um, I love the heat. Yeah, and it does have sambal, which is um, we're familiar with. Uh, it's an Indonesian spice. Yeah. They don't... It's not an overpowering yeah. fish smell. It's not bad. Absolutely not. Well, these are good. Yeah. The heat's delicious. I don't... I get a tiny little bit of fish, fish smell, but... They definitely smell more potent in the bag than they yeah. do kind of on the table. You know, they remind me a little bit of... Um, of krupuk. Yeah. Krupuk tends to be more airy. Yeah, this is and it's more denser. of a cracker. This is very dense. Almost like a, like a jerky... I'm enjoying it. I'm going to give it two thumbs. Go to, I'm just going to give it one. Okay. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's good. It's fine. It's not really my cup of tea, but I don't oh, see With a glass of red wine? Then you're really rocking. Yeah. Yeah. 
I know people who are like wine lovers going, like, dude, you can't put red wine with fish. You can't. Watch me. Right? Seems fine to me. Seems totally doable. Hmm. Oh, that, that heat is good. Yeah, it is nice. Yeah, it definitely. Very. It's a complex, it's a much more complex uh, flavor than I had anticipated, I suppose. Getting fair, a little lemon. Fair, fair bit going on here. I'm getting quite a bit of uh, rihakuru. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We'll have to, um, we'll have to figure out what that is sometime. <laughs> <laughs> I'm liking these. No. Thanks, Cam. Yeah, thank you very much, Cam. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening today. Next week, we're going to cover a cyclops lesion, which is a form of post-surgical complication of the knee. Cyclops lesion. Isn't that some kind of mythical creature? It is. It's a one-eyed uh, giant, I believe. Maybe not a giant. Large man. He just splashed water in my eye. Uh, we are going to review the Lay's West Indies Hot and Sweet Chili. Also compliments of Kim. Also... Uh, from the Maldives, so. Or f that's where she sent it to us from, but we'll see. But that's not that. That's not the Lay's bag that we got from. Uh, no, from okay. the Yeah. No, that's a different one. That's a different one. Yeah. Huh. We got a couple other other interesting Delicious. ones coming down the we road. Some good here. ones coming up. Yeah. If you like today's episode, please tell your friends, follow, review, subscribe. Uh, for more information on this topic, give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter. This week, we'll put some stuff out there. For more information on Rebound Therapy and Wellness Clinic, check out the website, reboundclinic.com. That's where we be. He's Jimmer. I'm Christian. Thanks for listening.